Join me, if you would, by turning to John chapter 8, those last verses of that chapter that we have been looking at now for several weeks. We come to the end of Jesus' encounter with the religious leaders and with those who had said that they were believing in him, those who there in the, the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles had said, we, we believe you are who you say you are. Some with a real faith, and some it appears with something of a spurious faith, a false faith, but nonetheless, who are making that kind of statement. We are following you. We are believing in you. And, and Jesus says to them, well, you will prove that you really are my disciples if you continue in my words. If you continue in my word, you, you truly are a disciple of mine, he said, as he looked at them at the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of this section of this chapter. But we come to verse 48 where he's beginning to wrap down what he's saying to those who are there in the temple listening to him, celebrating this, this Feast of Tabernacles that the Jews were wont to do at this particular time of the year. And this is what he said beginning in verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But, who, but I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, there he is saying the same thing again, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. And the prophets also died. And, and whom are you? Who do, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And thus we have the end of the Feast of Tabernacle and the discourses that Jesus gave on that particular day of celebration, at the end of that week of celebration. Some interesting things that Jesus says in this passage as he confronts those who would call him demonic, who would call him a Samaritan, which by the way was about as low a name as anybody could be called. It was almost as bad to be called a Samaritan as it was to say he had a demon. I, I mean, that was, a, that was a slam against him because the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with one another. They were those who had intermarried with, with the foreign countries and foreign peoples, and, and they were not pure in their, their uh, ethnicity. And so the, Jew, the Jews saw nothing good in them at all. And so when they looked at Jesus, they said, you, you, you truly are a Samaritan. You truly are 
uh, possessed by a demon, the, the people looked at him and, and, and looked at Jesus with those kind of vitriol words, and Jesus looked back at him and said, I don't have a demon. What are you talking about? I, I know my Father, and my Father knows me, and I glorify my Father, and I seek to do His Word, and you say He is your God, but yet you do nothing that He says. Why, Abraham, who you claim is your father, and, and rightly so, as far as the race goes, as far as the nation goes, he is your father, he is the head of that, he was called out of Ur, and he followed God and was obedient to God, and he believed God, and yet here you are saying he's your father, but yet you won't even listen to the faith that, that Abraham had. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham looked forward to see my day. And they looked at him and said, why, what are you talking about? You talking about Abraham rejoiced to see your day? I asked the question in the in the sermon title this morning. What made Abraham rejoice? Well, the truth of the matter is, Abraham was trusting God, believing God for the future promises that God had given him related to the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah, and it was no more greater illustrated than in the example that Todd read this morning in our scripture reading, our scripture lesson out of Genesis chapter twenty-two, where where God told Abraham, take Isaac, take Isaac, your, your son, your only son, the son whom you love. Now, he, he repeated himself to Abraham several times there because if God had just said to Abraham, take your son, Abraham would have gladly obliged, but it wouldn't have been Isaac that he would have taken, would he? No, because he had another son by Sarah's handmaiden, but he was talking about his son your only son, the only son that God really acknowledged and saw, and that's Isaac, the son whom you dearly love. Take him and go out to a mountain where I will tell you, and I want you to offer him there. Now, now people look at that and they say, well, that is a strange thing for God who did not require human sacrifice, never did. Moloch did, and other false gods did. They required that, that the people come and, and sacrifice their firstborn. Many of the pagans believed in human sacrifice, but Yahweh never required human sacrifice in all of history. And yet here he says to, to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and take him out to the mountain. I'll show you where, and there I want you to sacrifice him to me as, a, as a evidence of your faith, as evidence that you really believe what you say you believe. I mean, as though it hadn't been enough already that Abraham had followed him out into, a, into a, an unknown land. But that's what he did. And he got out there, and the servants were left behind, and they went on to build a fire. They had the wood. They had the knife. They had the torch. Everything was ready, except there was no lamb. There was no sacrifice. Even Isaac was beginning to get a little concerned about that. And Isaac said, Father, I, I, see the, I see the wood and I see the fire. See, you've got a pretty sharp knife in your hand too, but I don't see the sacrifice. I don't see the lamb. I don't see the animal. What are, you, what are we going to do when we get out there? And Abraham's word to Isaac was just simply, the Lord will provide. Abraham knew what God had commanded. He also knew that God had never commanded human sacrifice before, but Abraham was willing to be obedient to God for whatever it took. He got out there, he bound Isaac, he prepared the altar, he laid Isaac on it, and, and the Scripture gives sort of a clear uh, demonstration, uh, almost a dramatic uh, picture of what took place there. Abraham raised the sword high to strike his son, to bring it down on his son and offer him his only son, the son that he loved, as a sacrifice. And just as he got ready to bring the knife down, 
God's angel cried out and said, Abraham, stop. And Abraham released his arms and brought them down. And he said, he looked, the scripture says he looked up and he saw a ram in, caught in the thicket. And that ram they offered unto the Lord. You have to understand, that is a perfect picture of the Messiah that was yet to come. Isaac was said to be the promise. He was the promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah. Even in their old age, when it seemed like they could never have children, God gave them a child. And God said, this is, it is through this one Isaac that all the nations will be blessed, that, that all of my people will be known. It is through this one, not Esau, but through Isaac, that all the nations will be blessed, and, and my seed, your seed will continue on. And yet it was about to be sacrificed. Several thousand years later, at another place, another altar on, on Calvary, there was another only begotten son that was prepared for sacrifice there. He was laid down on the altar. He was laid down on the cross. And they raised those, 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 those hammers back and those nails in his hands and his feet. And they came down and they pierced his hands and pierced his side. He was sacrificed because there was no one greater than God who was offering his own son as a sacrifice to say stop. But Abraham is always used as an example of the Messiah that is yet to come. Abraham and Isaac are always used as a type of that. As a matter of fact, if you look over with me in the book of Hebrews for just a second, into Hebrews chapter 11. That, that passage that's known as the faith chapter, if you will, or the hall of fame of faith, you find two references to Abraham there. In verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he lived in an alien, as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which, uh, which has foundations, whose architect and builder, builder is God. It starts out by saying, listen, Abraham trusted God, believed God, and by faith he went out of the land where he was comfortable, where his family was, where his friends were. He believed God, and no doubt as he was leaving Ur, the people began to say to him, Abraham, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your senses? You're going out to a far land. You don't know where you're going, but this God you say you have believed is telling you to go, and so you are following, you are being obedient, and Abraham that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, they had to have laughed. They had to have mocked. They had to have criticized. They had to have said, that's the most foolish thing we've ever heard of, entrusting your whole life, entrusting your whole being, entrusting everything that you are to this God who has made a promise that you don't even know fully about yet. You don't know where that promise is going to take you. And Abraham said, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am taking up what he has told me, and I'm being obedient in it. Down a little further in that same chapter, in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, notice that phrase, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. 
you notice there that the writer of Hebrews says that this was Abraham's only begotten son. You remember back in, in John chapter 3 when we were looking at that, it said that God offered his only begotten son. There is that similarity. There is that picture. There is that, that type Isaac is and Abraham is to God and, and Jesus in the, in the sacrifice on Calvary. So Jesus comes to these people who are beginning to rant against him a bit in John chapter 8, beginning verse 48, with all of that knowledge of knowing that they really have a high esteem of Abraham, and at the same time, he knows that Abraham was pointing to him, that Abraham in his offering of Isaac was pointing to what was going to take place in his life as he became the true Lamb of God, the true sacrifice of God on the cross for the sins of his people. What, a, what an amazing thing that Jesus knows that these people don't have a clue about. So they said, you're a Samaritan. They've already accused him of being born out of wedlock. They've already accused him of being born of fornication in the passage we looked at last week. And now they say, well, you're just, you're a, you're a Samaritan. And because of that, we know that you have a demon because of all these things you're saying about your knowledge of God and what God is going to do in your life and how God is glorifying you and you desire to do nothing but glorify him. You're speaking gibberish to us. We don't understand that. You've got a demon. Jesus says, no, I don't have a demon. I have a demon. I, I glorify my Father. I do my Father's word. I do His will. You say you, wanna, uh, you say you know God, but yet you dishonor me who was sent from God. I don't seek my own glory. There's only one who, there's only one who seeks and judges. Truly, I say to you, if, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, understand, throughout this whole thing, his word and truth are the two things that continue to be the emphasis of Jesus' words there in the temple. And, and he continually ties his word to truth. And it'll be that way throughout all of John's gospel. His word is truth, and truth is always reacted against by the people who don't know God. That's just a clarity that, that, that we see throughout all the gospels, really. Those who think they are religious, those who think they have a uh, an inroad to God because of their birth or because of their religious rituals or because of their religious heritage, whatever it might be, those who think they really have a, an insight to God always react to the truth of Jesus' Word. Because you see, the Word is the word and the truth of His Word is always penetrating. It's always revealing. It's always striking at the very heart of our sin and the heart of our disobedience, and the heart of our rebellion against God. And so when the truth of Christ is spoken, many people who seem to be religious, who seem to be, you know, in their own right, self-righteous people, they react against that. And that's what's happening here. And so when Jesus says, if you, if you keep my word, and again, that word pointing to all that he is, in the beginning was the word, as John said in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now that was, that was something of, a, something of a, a shock to these people's ears. And understand, Jesus is not talking about if you're his disciple, you'll never, you'll never suffer physical death. 
he was not talking about here that if you, if you believe in him and follow him and keep his word, abide in his word, that, that you're, you'll, you'll have a health for your whole life and, and one day you'll just kind of be transmitted into the presence of God. Never said you wouldn't see physical death. He's talking about something far greater than that. He's talking about a spiritual death that is, a, is in a utter darkness, separated from the grace and the love of God, separated from, from his, his holy presence in, in anything but his wrath. He's saying, those who, those who keep my word will never taste death. And so they really got upset here then. They said, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham. He died. You're saying you're better than Abraham? Abraham is in a grave. We can tell you where he's buried. And yet you're saying that, that if people follow you, if your disciples follow you, they will never die. The prophets died also. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Oh, they're beginning to, they're beginning to ask the right questions. You know, one of the real things in our day is we don't take time enough to ask questions. We're always talking. We're always throwing things out. We're always trying to show what we know. Sometimes it's good just to pause and ask questions. And these people finally are asking the right question. Who are you saying that you are? Now, he's already said, I'm the light. He's already said, I am the bread of life and done miracles and things to show that he is who he said he was. But, but here he gets a little more specific and a little more clearly. So they ask him, who, who are you making yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If all these miracles are just so, you'll say, wow, look at these things he can do. If all of these signs that are being done are just so, you'll say, oh, man, Jesus is a superstar. Jesus is really something great. He, we, we ought to just follow him around and be amused and amazed and entertained 24-7. If I'm glorifying myself, if all these things are just to glorify me, I want you to understand it's nothing. My glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say that he is your God. He is the one who gives me glory. He is the one who performs these signs through me. He is the one who is saying to you, this is the one that I'm sending. This is the true Isaac. This is the true sacrifice. This is the one who really is the one that the prophet spoke of. He said, you've not come to know him. You say he's your God, but you've not come to know him. But I know him. If I said I don't know him, I'll be a liar just like you are. If I say I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you who say you know him because you don't. If you'd known him, you would have known me and you would rejoice in my coming. Because your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. I can't help but think there are two things that Jesus is sort of alluding to here when he says Abraham rejoiced. There's been the celebration of the festival of the tabernacles that's been going on for a week now, and, and that is a time of, as a feast, that is a time of celebration, and, and everybody's been in a uh, celebrative mood for a week now, and I can't help but think he's saying now, in all this celebration, all this rejoicing you've been doing about God's provision in the wilderness, I want you to know, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. But I think also Jesus is trying to point them back to the Abraham and Isaac experience. Do you think, I mean, just imagine for a moment if you can. Do you think 
just a little bit that when, I, when Abraham had his hands lifted over Isaac with a knife in his hand, about to bring that knife down in obedience to God's command, and God said, stop, don't do it, and a lamb or a ram was in the bushes entangled. Do you think just a little bit Abraham rejoiced? You think he got just a little excited and thankful and grateful that God has indeed provided the sacrifice and a sacrifice more in line with what Abraham wanted. And don't you think just a little bit that Abraham, being the father of faith, looking forward, knowing the promises of God, recognized that that what was about to take place here in this only begotten son was going to someday be played out on Calvary. He may not know the exact location. He may not know the exact time because he didn't. But he knew that the promises of God were sure, and God was going to provide that perfect sacrifice, that perfect lamb, in the days to come. And he rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in knowing that a day was coming when God would make right all that was made wrong in the fall, when God would redeem his people and forgive them of their sin and give them his, uh, uh, impute to them his righteousness, give them of his, give them the credit for his righteousness when we have none? Don't you know that uh, we've been talking about this on Wednesday night in our theology study on the whole concept of the exchange that took place at Calvary, him taking our sin, us being given his righteousness. I mean, don't you think that, that, that Abraham rejoiced in knowing that the promises that God had made were yet to be fulfilled? Isaac was going to be a part of that, and he rejoiced in knowing that, rejoiced in seeing that. So the Jews said to him, Abraham rejoiced to see your day? Why, you're not even 50 years old. And and you're saying you have seen Abraham? Now, you're looking, we know that Jesus lived something like 33 years, give or take a little, when he died. So he was probably in his 33rd year or so when they're talking to him here. And they looked at him and said, "Why, why, you're a young man. You're not even 50 years old. There were certain things within the within Judaism in that day, that until you attained the age of 50, you, uh, you weren't even able to talk about. And, and here Jesus talking about Abraham seeing his day and, and Abraham rejoicing in the fact of his coming, and they're saying, you're not even 50. How can, you, how can you talk about that? Abraham didn't see your day, and you haven't seen Abraham. Again, they're thinking, this man's got a demon. This man's just a little loco. I love what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, up until this time, Jesus has been using that term, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am living water. All these things he's talked about in context with various signs that he's done so that they might get a glimpse, if you will, an implication of who he is. I want you to know that all implication is laid aside here, and it is explicit in this verse. You see, the, 
the proper way to say this would have been, you're, you're not 50 yet. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Are you saying that you've seen Abraham? The proper way for Jesus to have, uh, have responded to this, just to say that he was before Abraham is, I truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I was. I mean, I mean, that would have communicated that, yes, I saw Abraham's day because I was in existence before Abraham was. I, I may only look 50 to you, but I'm a whole lot older than 50. But before Abraham was, before he was ever born, I was. He doesn't say that. That would have communicated time. That would have com communicated a greater age. But instead, he uses the words that are used over and over, but here in such an explicit way to say, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego I me. I am in existence. I am from the beginning. He uses the name that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, when I go down to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, who shall I say sent me? And because and, and, they're going to want to know. They're, they're going to doubt that me, you know, I murdered an Egyptian. I ran. I've been out here in, in the wilderness tending sheep for all these years. And when I go back in and say, hey, I've come to lead you out, they're going to say, what? You and whose army? Moses said, I know they're not going to buy that. So who shall I say, who shall I tell them sent me? And God said from the burning bush, you tell them that I am has sent you. The great name of God, Yahweh. Some translations translates it, uh, translate it Jehovah. I am, I am that I am. There is no I was, there is no I began, there is no I will someday end. I am from eternity past to eternity future. That's what God said to Moses, and that's what Jesus says to these who say, are you telling us you've seen Abraham? He said, yes, before Abraham was ever born, I am. And let me tell you, they were so incensed, they didn't just laugh at him. They didn't just say he was a Samaritan and had a demon. They picked up stones, and they were ready to kill him. Because he was making a claim that he was, in fact, God in the flesh. He was making a total identity with Yahweh. Just as John did to begin this gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus saying, that's right. I have been there. I was a part of creation. I made creation. I wasn't created. I am. I mean, that is a, an unbelievably powerful statement by Jesus as to who he is. I'm the light of the world. That's important. I'm the bread of life. That's important. But simply, I am, that's critical. That's absolutely the most important statement he ever makes about himself. What does it tell us about him? Well, it tells us for one thing, just as it does about God, when we look at him back in, in Exodus, it, it tells us that, that Christ is self-existent. He's not a created being. The theological term we use there is the aseity of God, or the aseity of Christ. If you want to spell it, it's A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. Aseity just means isness. There's no beginning, there's no end. 
There is an eternalness of it. And what we see here is that Jesus Christ is, is dependent on no one because of who he is. You see, the creature is dependent. You and I are dependent on God for our breath. We're dependent on God for our life. We're, we're dependent on God for our, our, our provisions and everything in this life. And we're dependent on each other. But the self-existent Christ, God alone, is independent and totally self-existent. See, he doesn't need us. You'll hear sometimes preachers say, listen, God really needs you. Don't believe it for a minute. We need Him. We, we can't live without Him. We can't breathe without Him. But He is absolutely the only totally independent person in all of creation. He's self-existent. Saying that I am also tells us He's not only self-existent, but, but it also speaks of His unchangeableness. You know, the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The unchangeableness of God and the unchangeableness of Christ are shown throughout all of Scripture. Again, if you want a theological term for that, it's the immutability of God. The immutability of God, the unchangeableness of God. Jesus will never change. He won't wake up one morning. Of course, he never sleeps, so he won't wake up for sure. But he won't decide one day. You know, I'm just going to change the whole way that people come to know, come to know God. I'm going to decide today that if you really want to walk with, with God, then you've got to obey every single law, every jot and tittle. You gotta, you've got to do it perfectly. No more of this, no more of this uh, giving you my righteousness. You've got to get your own righteousness if you want to be right with God. I mean, he's not going to do that. He's not going to say, well, it's no longer by grace, it's now by works. He's no longer going to say, well, if you want to be right with me, then you better come up with a good system of laws and rules and regulations. It's not that at all. He never changes. He is self-existent. He is unchangeable. And finally, this word, this name, I am, tells us that he is all-sufficient. See, all-sufficiency of Christ. You know, we change. And we, we depend on others. We, we're not self-sufficient. He is. We, we come to realize that, that He is sufficient in every need that we have as a believer. Charles Spurgeon once said in a sermon on the all-sufficiency of Christ, he said, for the believer, this word, this name, I am, is something like saying, I am, and put a blank after it. I am your life. I am your hope. I am your grace. I am your power, your strength. Oh, no, in, in, for the believer, I am it has a blank after it because he's all sufficient for everything we need because he never changes and because he is self-existent. Because Jesus Christ is God. So Jesus says this, I want to tell you, before Abraham was born, before Abraham was born, I am. It says, therefore, they picked up stones. I've just got this picture in my own mind that they didn't waste a lot of time doing it. 
that when he said, before Abraham was born, I am, their immediate and natural reflex was to go to the ground and pick up some stones and say, you make a claim to be God? Blasphemy. That, that is blasphemy if you say you're God when you're really not. That's blasphemy. If I stand here before you today and say, I am God, I, I am, I am anything like that, then you have a right to, to get rid of me. At least, don't use any stones, but fire me. It's blasphemy. But it says he hid himself from the people and he went away and they weren't able to stone him. The real reason they couldn't stone him was because it was not yet his day. It was not yet his hour. His, his time was not yet. It was coming, and it was coming quickly. And it was coming in a way that he saw and no one else could. But he saw that day that Abraham rejoiced in. He saw that, Jesus saw that day coming that if you are in Christ today, you rejoice in. He saw that day coming that would culminate on a, on a cross on the side of a hill outside of Jerusalem. He saw that day coming that would be the sacrifice that would eliminate all these lambs and all these bulls and all these doves and every other sacrifice that was ever made because of sin. It would eliminate all of them because he would be the ultimate. He would be the perfect. He would be the final, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God offered as a sacrifice. Abraham rejoiced in that day. Let me tell you something. I rejoice in that day. I hope you rejoice in that day. I hope you've looked to the cross and seen where the hand was not stilled as it was with Abraham and the death took place, his only begotten son, that we might live. That we might, as he said, he who, who keeps my word, he who believes in me, trusts in me, walks in me, he who abides in my word will never see death. All this body may quit functioning. This tent that we dwell in for a period of time may quit functioning. And it may quit functioning slowly. But one day it will quit if the Lord doesn't return before then. But the point Jesus is making is this. He who abides in my word, he who keeps my word, he who abides in me will drop this tent faster than you would drop a hot iron that had been in the fire. will drop this tent and be in the presence of the Lord forever. That's something to rejoice about. That's something to celebrate. That, that's something to see that day and know that day and, and say, thank you, Lord. That's, that's why we worship. That's why we gather on Sunday morning. That's why we come together and sing these hymns and sing these, 
these worship songs to lift our hearts and our voices to the Lord. It's to say, listen, I've seen the day. I've seen the day that Abraham rejoiced in, and I rejoice in the same day, and I glory in it, and I I find my glory not in myself, but I find my glory in Christ. I boast not in my own good deeds. I boast not in myself, but as Paul said to the Galatians, I boast only in the cross of Christ. For there, on that cross, I am. Settle the issue of the fall once for all, for all time, for those who believe. It's quite simple. It's quite simple. He is God in the flesh. He is the one from the Father. All who believe will never die. Let's pray. Father, I can't begin to imagine what it was like for Abraham before you said stop. The agony, the pain, the grief. I can't imagine how great that must have been. Lord, the joy that he felt when you said stop. The joy and relief that he felt when you said, don't do it. Must have just captivated his every thought. He, he must have just cried out as he worshipped worshipped you by offering that, that ram by saying, praise be to God. He has provided. He always provides. He is is sufficient for every need that I have. Father, teach us that. Teach us that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.